welcome to the podcast uh we got john on hi john how's it going good good so uh be here really quick well i mean we'll just kind of dive into it you know one thing we always want to do is kind of hear your backstory uh where you were you know as a kid probably two or three preferably (laughs) no just kidding we just want to kind of hear your backstory where you were you know what's kind of got you to the point where you are now i know within the company we kind of want to hear where you are within the company what your position is what you oversee in reality what kind of led you to this and also did you see yourself you know as a 10 year old 12 year old 15 year old being in the position you are now sure yeah i think it's um it's always hard, right, to kind of predict where your life's going to take you. You know, specifically when I look at like college and you, you, you're a young adult, right, a young man, and you have to kind of figure out what are you dedicating, you know, your studies and your the clairvoyance of what's going to come next, right? 100%. I think it's difficult. But I mean, if I look back to being a, a kid, right, I mean, I grew up in um, Aurora, Ohio, and I moved to Hartville. It was like, you know, south of Cleveland, Ohio, northeast Ohio, right? Yeah. And, I grew up uh, with a lot of land. You know, you had cities like Akron and Cleveland, right? But even comparative to California or New York or anything, they're yeah. kind of like big villages, if you will, right? <laughs> and uh, I spent a lot of time um, outdoors, and I think I've kind of built like a connection to, to nature. You know, I remember doing that a lot. Um, it wasn't always like, you know, peaches and cream, right, growing up. You know, I, I moved between households. There was, you know, different things that I kind of had to overcome and, and um, you know, but I think that it made me very independent, right? And very yeah. kind of mentally strong. You know, you kind of only grow from mistakes, right? And different yeah. things that you have to eat. You know, if life was always handed you roses, you wouldn't know how to deal with it. But 100%. in any event, um, you know, I, I worked a little at odd end jobs. And I, I think around 19, I kind of something clicked, right? And I, it was, I think I was working in a steel factory in Columbus. It's like, I got to go to school. Jeez, like, I don't want to do this. You know, there's something know. better. And, and I... I remember originally got into computer science and the idea behind that was I was thinking, okay, well, if I could build programs, right, like these, all these tech companies, tech booms, innovation and everything like that, I can get into it. And I, I remember being in a course, I was, went to Akron and uh, the first was like, make the computer say hi to you. Yeah. Not easy. You know, I got it done. By the end of that course, it was having it solve a Rubik's Cube and I realized oh, really? I wasn't in the right class. So <laughs> I, uh, I ended up pivoting multiple times. Yeah. That's why it's interesting when you say like, what do you want to be, right? I think when I was 10, I said a doctor, right? And look at me now. And uh, pivoted and I, I got into economics, which I, to this day, I, I love economics, you know, like yeah. CNBC, reading into it, you know, the economy is doing crazy stuff right now, obviously. Yeah. And I paired that with history, um, which sometimes it's like, oh, you went to school for history. Oh, there's a blockbuster down the street if you'd like to run yeah. it. You know? It's like, <laughs> what are you going to do? So, but it, it really helped me kind of yeah. perceive um, how do you kind of articulate an argument and whatnot. And, you know, history repeats itself. I think it's very important to understand that, right? Um, yeah. But in any event, then my goal was to get into law school. And, um, I thought maybe public policy or something along those lines. You can kind of pair those two degrees well. And I, I got into sales. I had a buddy of mine from uh, one of my hometowns that was doing it. And it was AT&T. And I just remember getting in there. It was funny. And I remember just interviewing a guy and I was talking to him about this. Of how like if you've never done sales before, you get into it. And, and for me in particular, it's like I want to learn every single tiny little spec on every single device that we're going to possibly sell. Yeah. And I realized very quickly that doesn't matter. You know, it matters, of course, if you get asked that. But most customers are buying on 
emotion or, or money or some other yeah. factor, right? And yeah, and I excelled at it, and I, I um, did very well. I, I ended up becoming a manager, running a store in Akron. I um, ended up becoming manager of the year at Northeast Ohio, Western Pennsylvania. Sent me down to Cancun. I kept working as a manager. Won it the second year. They made me a district manager, and um, it was uh, New Jersey. I was in Hoboken, so I mean, I was, you know. For all intents and purposes, it was very, very close to like Manhattan. You know, I yeah, drive yeah. out to Long Island, and that was a grind. That was like seven days a week. Oh I mean, my it was, gosh! It was yeah. tough to. Was that corporate job? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. Um, it's a type of thing where like you could be out to eat or something like that, and you receive a call, like, and you have to at times drop everything you're doing. So it just kind of like stressed me, and I think I'm a very prideful. I mean, if I'm gonna put time into it, I yeah. want to make sure that I'm you're doing committed, extremely committed. well. Yeah, and uh, and it was kind of wearing me down, but I was still rolling with it. And then they promoted me to um, market director in Los Angeles, in the greater Los Angeles area. So I was like, you know, Oxnard to Lancaster, you know, down like El Monte, you know, downtown LA. And I had, it was all over the place, right? And um, it was intense, you know, I was- That's uh, a lot. Yeah, I was, I think, you know, I, I was one of the younger guys that were doing it. Most of these guys were seasoned, you know, veterans, but I was yeah. obviously proving myself through my numbers. And well, numbers never lie. Yeah, of course, right? You know, but you all, you have, there's politics at play in the corporate world and whatnot. And um, it got to a point where um, I, you know, I, the workload was tremendous, right? I, I didn't feel like I could really tap out a lot. I mean, I remember getting calls at two in the morning at times, like a store was getting broken into, whatever it might yes. be, right? So I didn't feel like I could tap out, but I I felt that the culture wasn't where I wanted to end up. Yeah. Right? And, and I, I think at the end of the day, I probably voiced the opinion of a lot of individuals, especially in the, today's market, that money means a lot. Like, trust me, of course, you want to drive into money. And like, you know, I think the solar industry speaks to that, but it won't cure everything. Right. And if you're kind of like, I don't want to say miserable. It's kind of a tough word, but like if you if you're not happy with what you're doing, yeah, and you're genuinely it doesn't vibe well, or you don't feel like you're connected with it, right? Um, it you kind of take a step back and have an epiphany about what you're doing, right? You're at like a, a crossroads in your life, right? I'm in L.A. Uh, you know, I was living with um, Josh Lucer at the time, right? But I didn't have any of my family here. You know, I kind of was like, is this what I want to do? And um, I, I recall just the culture was just it was at the level I was at, it was very intense at the yeah. time, right? It was like, you know, and I don't necessarily blame it, you know, it was prime communications, but that, that branch, um, for doing that, because obviously they had to produce production, but it was, I think there was a style of doing business in like the 1980s, you know, that yeah. was kind of like the beat them up, produce, 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 like do as much as you possibly can. Right. Yeah. And it worked. I think a lot of companies have gotten that way, but I think we're at a point now where you're seeing like, a lot of startup environments, like in the tech boom in the 90s and different things, like really capitalizing. Yeah. Right? And I thought, well, what are those cultures doing differently? Right. And they're not the beat me ups anymore. Right. What these cultures do is they, they have they might have budgets for risk. Right. And experimentation. Right. For for individuals to go out and like, you know, kind of um, they prosper in failure to a degree. Right. To kind of yeah. let them grow. They create like environments where people feel fun. You know, you look at Google and they got like slides in the middle of their you know, yeah. workspaces. Have you, and stuff. have you seen the uh, um, one of the schools that has like the highest test scores for elementary kids? Mm-hmm. I want to say it's, it's either I think it's Finland. And the reason Finland has they went out and they were like, why are you guys you were one of the lower levels when it came to school? Why is it that you're 
topping like all the schools in the country. And when they went out, they came to find out that the kids were only going to school a total of maybe 20 hours a week. Mm. And majority of the time at school was recess. So the actual, and they didn't get homework. Homework didn't exist, but they allowed the kids to be kids. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, you know, what they thought and think it was is it allowed their minds to be more free to kind of wonder instead of kind of being told what to do. Because if you think about living in a world of creativity, what has, you know, some of the greatest, you know, opportunities that have come apple you know um mac with uh steve jobs and um what you know amazon's doing with um what's his name he they had innovative ideas they were mm -hmm. creative oh, and when you kind of put yourself into that type of environment you know 80s and 90s 70s what's his name uh <laughs> rockefeller he mm -hmm. said i think it was in the 50s or 60s like i don't want a country of thinkers mm -hmm. i want a country of workers no, and absolutely. I think that really limited a lot of people to growing and developing, which I think you're talking about mm -hmm. what are people doing differently is because there's people at a younger generation, a generation that's never seen, you know, the, the world's never seen. We grew up in a generation where we didn't have phones mm -hmm. when we were younger. We were playing outside. We didn't have social media. We didn't have the Nintendo systems that we do now. There wasn't television how it was. Mm -hmm. There are DVDs. Nothing existed that way. We played outside. We we're like you did, right? In nature. Mm -hmm. And how much more, you know, how much more of a positive mindset was created from being outside. And now we're transitioning that same age group. It's transitioning to what we live in now with technology, social media, but we still have our roots. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to let go of our roots. And we're trying to, implant those type of roots with our children. And I think a lot of these people at a younger age are coming in with these ideas that are allowing, you know, allowing companies to have creative minds that are not so much, right? One of my favorite things is a good leader doesn't command, they convince. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been a real big thing is a lot of these owners that are stepping in or just people that are being put into that position of management is giving them that opportunity and convincing them why it makes sense instead of just telling them what to do, what to do, what to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, the great points. I mean, from the kid perspective, it's um, I truly believe, you know, a, a kids are so innocent. Right. And they don't like they have a perception of what's right and wrong. I don't want to say that, but they question everything. They question everything. And I think what happens over the years is you get so routine and you get into these rigid work structures or yep. rigid cultures where you stop questioning things, right? And, you know, obviously you want the maturity of being older and the decision-making powers and, and whatnot, but like, you know, you, you don't want to necessarily lose that, right? And, and to question, is there better ways to do this? But I think that sometimes people feel that they don't have the power to do that. Yeah. And and I think if you do that, like in the micromanaging type of cultures, for example, where you, you, you structure something so rigid, like and a good, a good uh, litmus test is like, take a week off and see what happens with your team. Yeah. If you're a good leader, you don't have to worry. Right. A lot of times. But if you're micromanaging them, you're going to take that week off and all of a sudden you're going to see results drop. I mean, whatever yeah. KPI you're tracking, et cetera. But it's interesting because I think creating these cultures, right, that, you know, create, um, entrepreneurship, right? Like being an entrepreneur, but from the inside in, right? Yeah. Feeling like you have the ability to make decisions and right now, obviously you want to make sure that the leaders are appropriate for that type of decision-making. But it, I think that's such a building block in the culture I was looking for. Yeah. And I felt that I, um, while I had a lot of power, I was very rigidly defined and, um, again, nothing against AT&T, nothing against that, that, but I, 
I knew in my heart and in the um, what I wanted to pursue was kind of limited by what I was doing. Right? Yeah, so, especially like being in a position where they don't allow you to create those types of opportunities to have mm -hmm. that culture because once you have like and a big thing too with companies is once the cultures right they have their their core values mm -hmm. and once it's there it's especially with the company that gets so big how are you able to change their core values if someone that's head of the chancho is running it mm -hmm. and they're an older generation how do you change their core beliefs when they believe no this is how it goes yeah i think it's um you never stop learning right and i think if you, if you get into the mindset where you know everything. I don't care how old you are or whatever. I mean, you always got to perk your ears up, right? Yeah. And it can be kind of a dangerous thing to get into is, and I, and I think it also like with a, the core values perspective, you know, that has to be built from the ground up, really. Yeah. You know, you can't just have like a um, an outside marketing firm that consults and then builds the core values and then you force it down people's throats. Like it's not going to be digested that way, right? It has to be something that people really live and breathe by. And I think companies that can do that in conjunction with like a mission statement, a strategy statement that all employees really know and they, they live by, I think yeah. that's when it works. But I think with a lot of companies, what they do is they just say, oh, we're going to say it's like, um, you know, our, this is our five core values that sound good in a dictionary, yeah. right? But then it just never goes anywhere. Well, so. and it's like you can't, I mean, I, I like going to the books, right? Books have so much knowledge, right? But at the same time, I believe when it comes to that core value, especially like starting from that ground zero, you know, building from the inside out, you have to have everyone that buys into it. And you mm -hmm. can't have one or two people with their idea of what it will take. Right. And allowing more than five, six, seven, eight people, the more people that can have an actual conversation about the core values of that company allows it to one, develop a core value, and two, later down the road, if those core values tend to, you know, transition into something, you know, different, having those same conversations allows the more people that are involved, the more ideas that come in and the more people that are gonna buy into it. Why? Because they all agree and believe on those mm -hmm. same core values. Yeah, and they, they feel they're part of it, right? I think it's the huge thing, the respect, but it's, and it's a lot easier to, yeah. to buy into it when everyone's kind of on the same boat. And I I guess my question too, is you talked about, you know, where you were before uh -huh. seeing the core values, seeing the, the culture coming into titanium. I know you oversee a lot of different, mm -hmm. you know, what are some of the actual departments that you oversee? What are some of the cultures you see within each one of the departments that are the same mm -hmm. as well as that are different in other departments. Sure. Well, if we're finishing up real quick, you know, eventually what had happened, right? Just to go back to our last convo is that, you know, Josh Lucer, I remember showed me a check for 15 grand and I jumped ship. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to try it. And my, I remember my father calling me. He's like, you, you jump ship without an island to swim to. Yeah. So right when COVID happened, I probably could have stuck around and gotten paid, you know, for whatever. But, and we blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, I had to figure out a lot of stuff, right? And I, I think that the, the learning lessons I learned from that were immeasurable, truly. I mean, like, I, I, I'm in business school. I'm about to graduate my MBA in December. And and the experience I've gained through that, right, in, like, working in a, if your back's against the wall, you either make yeah. or break. I mean, it was immeasurable. And we built the company up. And then, obviously, we we kind of merged part of that with uh, Titanium. And and uh, we we we've done very successful in that regard. But in terms of the departments, you know, I work a lot with, uh, you know, marketing, I work a lot with recruiting, I work a yeah. lot with sales leaders. Um, you know, I kind of work a lot with the executives and, um, you know, I've, I've helped 
you know, like for example, data analytics, like, you know, I remember like kind of building like the groundwork for how we're going to do commissions and things like that. So yeah, of course. I've gotten my Paul's involved in a lot of stuff, which was a big pivot because I mean, I had been a sales leader before, you know what I mean? Built my entire career as sales and I kind of flipped into like the backbone of the, you know, like the, uh, the skeleton, if you will, of like how the company runs. But, um, in terms of like how I like to structure culture, I think that it was a shift for me. Right. And I, you know, I'll be, I'll be completely vulnerable here. Because I had um, worked very hard to build a lot of the foundations, right? So yeah. maybe like at first kind of like flipped into micromanaging as a kind of, a, you know, authoritative leader. Like we got to do it this way. But yeah, yeah. I really try um, to genuinely be cognitive of that. Like you have to know your blind spots, right? Whatever personality, the Myers-Briggs, um, you know, Clifton Strengths, whatever it is, know your blind spots. Know what you're not good at because you can generally fix that stuff a little bit better than, you know, or be cognitive of it um, yeah. than like what you're just a rock star at already. Um, specialize, et cetera. But, but what I focused in on was, you know, making sure that these individual cultures and making sure that people felt valued and they could make decisions. And that like, I didn't want to be the person that like was breathing down people's necks. I wanted individuals to come to me and say, Hey, we kind of vetted all of our resources. I believe this is the best move. And, yeah. and, and being okay if things don't work out right away, you know, I mean, I'm not saying to blow through budget or anything like that, but, you know, experiment a little bit and, and feel the freedom to do that. And, and, and if people feel genuinely respected and they, and you have their back, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and you truly do in your heart too. You're not just like cutting on a facade. Um, it, it really makes what I think is special here at titanium. True. Yeah. And honestly too, like what you're talking about with, you know, taking those chances, you know, sometimes you might lose, sometimes you might win. One of the things that I, I say in the office all the time is you got to risk it to get the biscuit. It's one mm -hmm. of my favorite lines oh, because yeah. how else do you, you know, take a chance. Mm -hmm. And also like as a leader, like you're talking about being aware of your blind sides, that to me is such a crucial thing, especially when you're in a leadership leadership position, because right, the 21 irrefutable laws, the number one rule it talks about is the law of the lid. Mm -hmm. And if you're not aware of where you can be better at and allow other people to step into that type of a characteristics that helps the actual company grow because you're only limited, you're one man. Mm -hmm. As much as you do, it doesn't matter because if you can only do this really well and this really well, you need to find someone else that can do this really well. Mm -hmm. But if you keep telling yourself you do really well at this and you're really not, mm -hmm. how else do you find other people to put into that position to help the company actually grow and develop? And yeah. you know, telling, you know, talking about giving people an opportunity, letting them kind of make their decisions, come to you, say, hey, you know, we've sat around, we've talked about it. This is what we believe to be the best opportunity. You're taking your role as your position and your leadership, and you're allowing other people to have an opportunity to step into their roles of that leadership. And as you continue to do that, it's just the ripple effect. It gets, it goes down the line. And when you have a belief in the people under you that they're gonna make the right decision and you don't have to micromanage them, mm -hmm. what do you think is gonna happen to their beliefs when it comes to them managing someone below them mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. And it, it really does start with the core at the front, mm -hmm. right? And that's why I always say a good leader doesn't command, they convince. And when you have those leaders that convince other people to do what's right, not in a sense of money hungry, but in a sense of genuine desire to help them as a person, not mm -hmm. as a dollar bill. And that's kind of hard to find. And that's one thing, at least for me, what I've seen, you know, a, a part of the culture within the company is from the grant, from the, from the tippy top to, you know, at least management style, a lot of people see and believe in growth as a person, not as a salesman. 
and growth as an opportunity to develop to be a better person, right? You mm -hmm. want to be a better person today than you were yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I see a lot of, and I, and I love that. I love seeing the culture of positive, uplifting, genuineness, right? Because how does the saying go, you can't bullshit a bullshitter? Yeah, well said, that's <laughs> what my father always says. So, but no, and then the last thing we'll hit on is the one question that right? you see a lot, you see the culture, you help a lot with the culture. I know when it came to recruiting, a big one of my favorite lines that you gave is, you know, you're gonna make money, it's inevitable. The question is, what are you gonna do when you make the money? What mm -hmm. kind of characteristics are you gonna have? Are you gonna quit and get lazy because you got a big paycheck? Or are you gonna keep moving forward? And that was something that I loved. I remember you you brought it up in one of the the recruiting co uh, calls, and I and I've been using that, you know, not just for recruits, but just in general, right? And that's even for myself. What am I gonna do when I see that money? Yeah. So I really do love that. But my one question is, is seeing everything and being a part of everything, where do you, I mean, you talk to the executives, you're one of the executives, right? You're on the board. Where do you guys talk and see the company in the future as of now and where we plan to be? Yeah. Um, so there's tremendous opportunity in solar, right? Of course. And, and I think the market, I mean, everything is like pointing to it. I mean, it's, it's almost like recession proof to a degree because you know, what, what allows us to sell more, you know, inflation and these different mm -hmm. things. Right. And, and it's just continued to boom. I mean, this ITC was passed bipartisan, both Trump and Biden, you know, I mean, they, they've pushed this through. So it's, there's just massive opportunity on the table. Right. So my thought comes to, you can grow organically, but you're growing alongside a lot of people. We own different verticals, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously you have, the security that supported different elements and we own the installations, which puts us ahead. And, you know, we were working with dealers and the whole nine yards. We have an internal sales force, but I, I think that what we need to kind of be fine tuned into is what produces a competitive advantage, right? Yeah. Because you have all these companies doing it and, and there's barriers to entry. I get it. We But as you kind of scale into a midsize, you know, larger midsize company, right? You have to think of what are you doing differently, right? Like how are you approaching things differently? And I think companies focus on technology, right? Tech is huge in the solar game, right? Yeah, of course. They're not going, you know, door to door with a pen and a notepad, right? Yeah. And trying to quote out your Kirby vacuum. They're like going there with technology. It will do AI proposals in 30 yeah. seconds and the whole nine yards. So I think that tech is a good element of it. I think that you can separate yourself from a cultural perspective. You know what I mean? Like how, you, you know, which obviously also fosters innovation. I think that, you know, a lot of, banks and investors and so to speak are interested in solar you know yeah. so i mean what like, didn't blackstone within last month like invest like 20 or like 15 billion dollars or something for solar financing I'm i want to say i heard that sure but I, I mean i would believe it right and financing was, is huge i was talking to Southern about that because yeah. i know you know with Goodleap, they're one of the you know original ones that came into it mm -hmm. and they're you know a it's like what it was like a nine billion dollar company so mm -hmm. or maybe even more so i know there's a lot of money in that financing side yeah. because people are seeing it and the fact that the that the um, tax incentive is potentially going to be at 30 mm percent -hmm. for the next 10 years huge yeah. ginormous it's not going away right mm -hmm. and i i think um it's very interesting and i and i think that one thing i know that in my particular strategy is that like recruiting is huge because I think this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Once people understand it, you know, it's it's not just like we're just saying this because we want to say it. Like, yeah. you know, I've met people that have worked their entire working careers in the corporate world and worked sometimes a lot more. And I've then I've met individuals that are 
18, 19 years old, bringing in three, $400,000. Yeah. Right? It's like not even comparable <laughs> to somebody that's done that. So it almost seems too good to be true, but it, it is this great opportunity and people should be taking advantage of it, you know, mm -hmm. and taking it seriously, not just falling off to your law of the lid comment. But I think, um, you know, what I'd like to establish is do really well every element of solar that companies and dealers and different individuals have struggled yeah. with, right? Maybe marketing, recruiting, the installation, fine tuning that installation, making it a fun place to work, right? Yeah, of course. And, and, you know, in having that great, awesome reputation of where you want to be, right? And then I think that there's verticals too from like, you know, you look at all of these security and solar companies, right? And and they've, they've kind of conglomerated and you can start offering home solutions and, and I think that the future, I mean, you, you know, you could have situations where, you know, I remember talking to an investor and he was saying that the next person, the next Jeff Bezos is the individual that invents a battery. Like imagine a battery that could store in a Tesla enough power for a week. Yeah, right? I'm not a, I'm not the engineer to even begin to speak on that. But, you know, there could be times where this, you know, this renewable space, it changes so much. Yeah. Right. So. You know, you could be in a position three years from now where all of a sudden this battery comes out. Now you're calling the customers back. So I think it also comes down to the point of building long lasting relationships and doing what's yeah, right by people. That's huge for the and, future. Yeah. And, and setting that up so that you can, you know, reach back out to these customers and have these relationships built and really offer them um, savings amongst helping the earth the whole night. Yeah. Down, so no, 100 percent. I mean, that's what else do you do solar, right? You don't. Yeah. We're not here for like, I get the CO2 and global warning. It's like the cherry on top, but the right. reason people do it is because it makes sense financially. It's financial security. That's nope. why. Nobody is going to spend 300 more dollars a month to help like sea lions and loyal, <laughs> yeah. right? It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so it's, it's very economical, but I think it's something you can be proud of. I mean, I grew up on five acres in woods and I've always had a connection to that. It's been very yeah. hard, honestly, if I'm being real with you, to... Um, to when get I away from that land. And I was like, I got no property. Like I couldn't step outside and breathe, you know, <laughs> couldn't let you, you know, and now you're in yeah. California. Yeah. It's a little better, but I mean, it's, it, you know what I mean? It was always hard to jive with, but I always have had, um, a very strong respect for, you know, whatever you believe in. I mean, God's green earth, right? There's and, a higher yeah. power of some source. Yeah, there's so. an, there's a higher energy, whether yeah. that's the sun, the universe or God that we can't see, but we can hundred percent feel. Amen. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. So, so no, that's awesome. I'm, I'm excited to, you know, to be a part of that future. I know part of it's technology and solar, especially, you know, with the potential that 30% is going to be ginormous and mm -hmm. the, you know, the culture within the company it starts from the top and, and makes its way down. And that's one thing that I've seen a huge difference is, mm -hmm. is a lot better of a culture type feel of putting the, you know, you're just as important as I am. It doesn't matter who you are and what your role is. We're in this together. Yeah. And that's one thing that's been really big is, you know, not seeing people that are more power hungry, but more just like, you know, driven for, you know, making the world a better place. Yeah. If you look at like some of the best leaders, right. Or people that you respect would be another way of putting it. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a leader. Like somebody, I mean, they have wisdom, right. But they also are very vulnerable and yeah. generally they're very humble type of people. Right. And I'm not talking about like, you know, like I'm talking about like, you know, like think of like somebody like um, Warren Buffett, for example, or like Jeff Bezos or, and, you know, and obviously you could say now he's got a yacht inside a yacht and stuff. But like I remember watching a video and it was very early on in Amazon. He's driving a Honda Civic. Yeah. Okay, he's worth probably at this point like a hundred million dollars. The guy asked him, he goes, you know, like, why are you driving a Honda Civic? Like you could be driving like a Bugatti or whatever. Yeah. He says, it's a nice car. 
And it made me realize, you know, and people might have differing opinions, but at that point in time, right, or like Warren Buffett going through a McDonald's with a coupon, right, or yeah. living in the same house, is that these people that, like, get to that point in their life are not even thinking about money like we, you and I would be thinking about it. We're not, they're not thinking about to pay their rent bill. I mean, they're visionaries, and they're living by that dream of being a visionary. Yeah. And you could have, again, your opinions, but I, um, there's a different cognition, right? And I think... Um, I, I think a lot of it, I mean, you, we could go down a laundry list of leadership, but like being vulnerable, being humble, you know, working hard and stuff like that, but being okay of being wrong, I think is what people really strive for. And they, they respect that. If you come in and you're just like, I know everything and I'm never going to be wrong and yada, yada, you never get respect that way. Yeah. You well, know? not only that, but you're never going to go far. Exactly. How are you going to go far if you, if you think you're, I mean, my dad always said it, right? Oh, you know, everything quick, write a book while you still know everything. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's if funny. you, if you really do know everything, you should be writing a book, yeah, right? So yeah. in reality, once you understand that you don't understand is when you understand, you know, a lot more. Yeah. And that's kind of a big thing for me because you'll never stop growing. You'll never stop knowing. You'll never stop learning. And as soon as you do, like mm -hmm. you're dead. Yeah. Why would you not want to continue to grow and develop as a person in every aspect, right? One of my favorites is, uh, you know, a jack of all trades is the master of none, but is oftentimes better than a master of one. Mm -hmm. So why would you not want to be better at so many different things instead of just one focus? Mm -hmm. You have to be able to pivot and you have to be open and willing mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah, no, for sure. In a very short amount of time. Yeah, <laughs> it's, right. days, are, uh, yeah. days are long, years are short. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 100%. So, all right. Well, I appreciate having you on.